You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. For several decades on 21st Century Radio, we've covered both the benefits and dangers of electromagnetic radiation, among other forms of energetic engagements we have in our daily lives. Cell phones, cell phone towers, the 60 hertz grid, the many Wi-Fi environments we share, the grid system in our homes, in our cities, in place of work. To say that these EM fields impact on our biosystem is minimal, disguises fact for corporate fiction and fallacy in place of sound advice for both bodily as well as emotional and mental well-being, from cancer to Alzheimer's. Low-level, non-thermal, non-ionizing radiation is changing our very DNA. Dr. Martin Blank has made a profession of studying the effects of electromagnetic radiation, EMR, on cells and reactions with DNA, as in the cellular stress response. Dr. Blank earned PhDs in physical chemistry from Columbia University in colloid science from University of Cambridge and went to Columbia University's Department of Physiology and Cellular Division since 1959, where in 2011 he became an associate professor retiring also as a special lecturer. He's done tons of research. His uh, dossier is daunting, and I have to say he's done a masterful job uncovering the facts, exposing the misinformation, and suggesting safer life habits for everyone. And his book, Overpowered, The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It, a Seven Stories 2014 release. And that's our topic this hour. Thank you for joining us so much, Dr. Blank. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure, really. I have been interested in this field for some 30 years and have um, covered it from many different angles. But you really give the average person an opportunity to understand the science, what you know about it, and its impact. So let's start start with some basics. What are EM fields? Well, it's one of the basic forces in nature. And the physicists like to speak about electromagnetic force and it's sort of intermediate in strength. You know, nuclear force are very powerful, and then there's the weak forces. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the electromagnetic force can influence the matter that our Earth is composed of, that we are composed of, because we are made up of atoms that are made up of electrons and protons and a lot of other particles. And the point is that they are electrically charged and they interact with the electromagnetic fields that are around us. And so it's not surprising that the, these fields can influence our, uh, our bodies, our bodily functions, and have a profound effect, sometimes a deleterious one. So uh, it's a electromagnetic fields are fundamental. They're in nature, and so are we, and we interact with them. Then we have all of our technology and apparatus and the 60 hertz grid. And in your studies, have you looked at what the average human used to be exposed to before our 60 hertz cycle sort of got placed all over the planet? When I give a, a talk on the spectrum, I show the different divisions of the spectrum, which are arranged according to the frequency. That is how fast these waves are going past you. And the fact of the matter is that when you're down below the sun, which, by the way, emits electromagnetic radiation, light being a, an electromagnetic radiation, and 
it's let me start, let me pause it just at this moment and introduce the fact that there is physicists like to differentiate between ionizing radiation and non-ionizing radiation. Ionizing radiation is the kind of radiation that has enough energy to knock electrons out of atoms. That's pretty potent. Mm-hmm. Most of what we come in contact with is non-ionizing, and the sun has mostly non-ionizing radiation. The ultraviolet range, which is also emitted by, by the sun, is, also, is borders on the ionizing radiation. So you could think of the sun as a kind of an upper limit to the non-ionizing radiation. And the fact is that if you look back about 150 years, everything below the level of the sun was non-existent virtually mm-hmm. in a quantitative sense. There was almost none of this stuff. There was some, you know, the sun itself emits non-ionizing radiation below the level of light, like infrared. But the fact is that all the other stuff was virtually absent. We had some very, very low-frequency stuff that came from lightning storms that occur on the Earth and that will um, pass through the charged layers in the atmosphere, through the ionosphere, and so they will carry radiation, but it's very weak. It's, in fact, it's very weak today, but it was present then. But otherwise, there was nothing to speak of. And with the invention of the light bulb and the power grid and all that sort of stuff, it just opened the door, and now we have that whole range, all this non-ionizing range, which is in the extremely low frequency, radio frequency, microwave. They are populated now by lots of different devices, that keep on emitting and using these kinds of radiation. So years ago, when I knew Robert Becker, and I saw you mentioned him in your book, as well as Rolf Saadi, and some of their research was on the positive use of electromagnetics for regeneration of limbs and salamanders and other things. But they were blowing the whistle already back then in the 50s and 60s about the dangers of this field that we are now all immersed in, in our offices, in our homes, and unfortunately now our children with Wi-Fi in the schools or their little tablets. So I'd like to talk about some of the particulars of what your studies and others can now tell us about the impact of this non-ionizing radiation that we are immersed in, most of us, all of the time? Well, uh, there is a lot of information that's being aired to the public and being fed to the public to try and reassure them that the devices that we are using now are virtually harmless. And the fact of the matter is that we don't have to rely on these uh, announcements from uh, industry or even from the announcements of, from scientists. We can ask the cells themselves. Cells will have reactions that they, uh, they use to protect themselves. One of these reactions we know at the bodily level, for example, when we encounter trouble as a total organism, our heart starts to pump faster, we breathe faster. These are uh, caused by secretions that come from uh, the uh, adrenal glands. We have cortisol, adrenaline. These are things that are helping us cope as an organism, as an entire body. Well, cells have similar mechanisms, but they are at the cellular level. There's something called the cellular stress response, and this is a biochemical reaction that occurs that makes in response to a variety of stimuli, and one of them is temperature, another is electromagnetic fields, uh, there are uh, 
changes in acidity, there's changes in, in, in alcohol. If you have, uh, put cells in alcohol, they'll start this reaction too. And this reaction results in proteins being manufactured by the cell to help cope with the damage and to help repair uh, functions that are somehow damaged in the, in the process. So the cell tells you that these, the, these fields are harmful or potentially harmful. And so we don't have to rely on the information that is being fed to us by various sources that have their own agendas. If we look at the actual scientific results, we see that the cells will make chemicals that give you the answer. The cells see these fields as potentially harmful. So when we look at proteins being manufactured, and I've done some other interview work over the years, but it's not a daily affair, that talks about the impact of cellular division on DNA. You know, I remember in the early years of discussing DNA, people thought it was this rigid, fixed system of pairs that never changed. And now we know that's not true at all. So go a little further for us about what happens then if the cells are reacting by making proteins and how in turn, this impacts our DNA, and how in turn that manifests as illness. Well, I remember when I went to high school, I learned that the DNA was the place where the g genetic information was hidden, and it was transmitted from father to uh, father and mother to to the offspring, and that this arrived with all the information that was needed for the uh, to make the body the new body, the new person. You got the sense that the DNA was not active. It was kind of sitting there in the nucleus and kind of waiting there for the next generation. Exactly. They did. They said it was like a it's rigid program. I know. It's, it's unbelievably active. It's active virtually all the time. And it's making proteins by coming apart. The two chains in the DNA come apart, and the code is read. The code is made up of the chemicals that hold these two chains together. These are called bases. There are four different bases that are, that are there, and uh, you take them in, in groups of three. Each, they will code for the different amino acids. So the, when the code is read, it reads these bases uh, three at a time, and these are translated into an amino acid, which is then added to another amino acid, and then you get a whole chain of these things that eventually get a protein. Well, when the body senses that there is something, uh, an electromagnetic field that reaches a certain level where you it reacts as potentially dangerous, the DNA comes apart, and it starts to make these specific uh, proteins, these stress proteins. Uh, we know this because we actually did experiments where we could find out where it's coming apart. We took one stress protein, which is HSP70. Uh, that's uh, shorthand for heat shock protein, 70,000 molecular weight, and we took the part of the DNA that carries the code for the, uh, for the protein that's being manufactured, and we attached it to another protein, an indicator protein, a, uh, something that will tell us if the DNA has been activated. And sure enough, we were able to activate this thing with electromagnetic fields, and we made this protein that was going to tell us that the DNA had been activated. In other words, we found the, the section of DNA that was actually activated and that actually went on to make a protein. So it, it kind of completed the loop that here we have, the, we have shown 
that this stimulus resulted in this particular protein being made in response to the stimulus. We actually made two different proteins doing this two different times. So, so what so, happens over repeated exposure when these proteins are being manufactured as a result of stress to the cell from the electromagnetic field radiation? Well, uh, it will, there's a certain time for recovery, but if it comes too fast, you don't get the same response afterwards. And uh, one of the thoughts is that if you get too much of a, a stimulus, your defenses will uh, get weaker and weaker and eventually be insufficient to meet the, uh, the demand, that, uh, the, the load that's being put on you. So cell so, phones is an example, because most of the people in the listening audience have one of some sort or use them occasionally, if not all the time, every day. And it's held up to our heads. What's actually happening? Well, it's... Uh, Every tissue that is exposed is getting a a massive dose. The closer it is to the antenna, the larger the dose. It's interesting that people have talked about the difference between an adult and a child because the dose will depend on how far this wave will penetrate into the brain. And the penetration will depend, of course, on the strength of the signal, but it will also depend upon the nature of the tissue that is passing through. And adult brains will have a certain distance that this uh, field will be, will be influencing. Children, on the other hand, have brain tissue that has a different composition. Their brains are not fully myelinated, which means that they don't have the full insulation around the nerves in them. And the nerve, this insulation is made of lipid. And Instead of a lipid, they're mainly aqueous. They're mainly watery. And water will allow the signal to go deeper. It will allow it to travel unabated. And so the point is that children's brains will allow the same signal to go further because the tissue has a different composition. And, of course, the other thing about children's brains is although the child's head is proportionally larger than an adult's head to the adult body, it still is smaller, and so the electromagnetic signal will go through more of the brain as a result of just the, the size, the smaller size of the child's brain. So children are particularly vulnerable to this kind of radiation, and it's advisable that they not be exposed to it. When I tell people that, they look at me like, are you joking? My three-year-old has her tablet. You know, these kids grow up with their hands in the computer field. I have my own personal story of a recent sort of revelation as a result of reading your book because it's it's not a topic I've covered recently. And I, I just need to thank you personally as um, a lone broadcaster, sometimes the only one in the area covering these dangers. We have um, a place called Television Hill here in Baltimore where one of our all our TV stations get their signal from. And many of the broadcasters, both in radio and in television, have died of cancer. And my husband and I have always maintained that the amount of radiation these men and women are subject to is so above what the average person is ever exposed to that I always assumed that they were getting cancer from this radiation. And when you would try to talk to them or get them to investigate it or even to do a story about their own lives on Television Hill, never 
once. But if you talk to them off air, they'll tell you, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all. We're going to take a little break. Dr. Martin Blank's book, I encourage everybody to buy this book. I've never said that about a book. This book, everybody needs to read because we're talking about our future, our children, our grandchildren, and everybody's health. And if we don't want more cancer and childhood leukemia and Alzheimer's, take better care of ourselves. Overpowered, the dangers of electromagnetic radiation and what you can do about it. Seven Stories Press, 2014. This is Deborah White Plume, Oglala Lakota from the beautiful Pine Ridge homelands here with Zoe Hieronymus on 21st Century Radio. If you want to learn more about Oweaku or Moccasins on the Ground, our website is www. O-W-E-A-K-U-International.org. Our guest, Dr. Martin Blank, has written a most important book for everybody to read, Overpowered, The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It. It's a Seven Stories Press 2014 release. Uh, Martin, one of the interesting things, sad but true, tobacco playbook sort of has spread its wings into this kind of technological field. And your book is littered with the bodies of people who have tried to come out and tell the truth um, about the dangers of cell phones and non-ionizing radiation and microwave ovens. And there was an effort in 1990 that you recall by the EPA's head of health and environment assessment, um, Robert McGowey, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, he wanted to designate um, this non-ionizing radiation as a probable human carcinogen, along with other Class B carcinogens like DDT, PCBs, and formaldehyde. Share with us what happened. Well, basically, uh, it was a report that was judged not to be ready for release, and it was shelved and then just never resuscitated. And, and this uh, he, is... He, he, was a very, he was a very conscientious worker. I remember discussing with him about the work and the... Uh, and, the way he had gone about it, and and he was quite, you know, assured that what he was saying was was conservative. In other words, he wasn't going out on a limb on that. And he was politically, but not scientifically. The evidence was quite strong even back then. Exactly. And so, for all these decades that I've covered this and maintained and keep bringing literature forward, of course, we're under the shadow of Johns Hopkins here, and they're not always so happy about revealing even the weaponization of these energies, whether it's laser weapons or acoustical radar weapons or bombarding naval sonar weapons. The epidemiological studies have been focused, some of them, on the impact of cell phones, cell phone towers, Wi-Fi, microwave, et cetera, um, high tower lines, I don't know if I mentioned that, um, have focused on childhood leukemia, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's, and breast cancer. Share a bit more about that with us. Well, I guess the childhood leukemia was one that was, uh, I guess, the the earliest one that really got a a strong focus, and that was because I guess it's in the power frequency range. And somebody, you know, we we can, nobody's going to give that up. That's so ingrained it's been in the population. My guess is that it was considered a relatively low risk, one that's relatively easy to shield against, and that the, uh, you know, I don't know what their thinking was, but mm-hmm. they voted that this was something that was a uh, possible carcinogen. And I think that this happened, I think, in 2001, 2002. Very early on, the World Health Organization came to that conclusion. And uh, the thing is that 
since then, there's been this, uh, you know, fight, I guess you might call it, but this attempt to try and, and get a handle on this radio frequency, which is far more pervasive now, and the, uh, it's just hard to... Uh, uh, get anyone to to do anything. <laughs> mm. Well, look, it's in all our alarm systems, our garage openers, uh, so many devices that people turn their lamps on in their house. Or, but even something like radio broadcasting, yeah. and FM broadcasting. There was yeah. a study done in uh, Sweden when uh, they found there was an increase in melanoma that, that coincided with the uh, advent of. Uh, the FM broadcasting. Mm. And mm. the interesting thing about this new melanoma was that it didn't only occur on the parts that were exposed to the radiation of the sun, which is what the classic cause of uh, melanoma was, but it occurred all over the body, or at least at different parts of the body that were not exposed to that kind of radiation. One of the things in your book you mentioned is the proof of microwave-induced glaucoma, meaning people owning microwaves, microwave towers, just the influence of our being hit by microwave, whether in a store or wherever we are. Yeah. Well, glaucoma is a <laughs> it's significant damage to the eye in the apparatus, and mm-hmm. uh, one uh, it can affect the eye. I mean, this is something that people have have noticed that if you uh, even get bright lights sh- shining in the in the retina, you can destroy the uh, uh, parts of the retina. So uh, it's not surprising that uh, this was noted. Right, and yet there's no hesitancy to promote microwaves in people's homes. And anyway, I've always felt there was a connection between breast cancer and microwave ovens, which leak, and they're at the level of breasts, and most of the women are the ones providing the meals. But anyone, there's an, I don't think there's ever been a study in the correlation between microwave ownership and breast cancer. And again, it's this corporate hold over the medical industry and who underwrites the research. And then when somebody underwrites it, as Motorola did, and then their researcher comes back with something they don't want to hear, that gets shelved. The researcher gets canned. And if not ridiculed. Yeah. And the, the first thing is that, that the research money dries up yeah. rather quickly. And that's one of the things that's happened to research in, in, in the U.S. The fact is that uh, unless you are doing projects that are thought to be of interest to the, uh, let's say, the, the industry, industry yeah. uh, then you don't get funding. And uh, it's very hard to maintain a a proper level of funding. One of the things that's happened to the Bioelectromagnetic Society is that membership, I think it's now stabilized, but uh, it just kept losing as in, in the last few years, losing members, because, you know, if you don't, if you're not working in that area, you probably don't want, need the affiliation or don't want the affiliation. Well, and again, that's why I said at some point this is the tobacco playbook. We knew for decades the impact, the carcinogenic nature of tobacco, but the industry was more powerful in terms of Congress and health care and even the hospitals underwriting them. And we see that now in technological industry, that technology has taken over science, and it's believed the more machines, the better. And I have this ongoing debate with artificial intelligence people and people who are so in love with the machine that they're going to, like, just cast us right out of our bodies. I want to talk, though, about what you talk about, which is how the person in the listening audience can do more to protect themselves. Well, I think the... Oh. Go ahead. I thought you were going to add something. I was going to say, you said something. You use what's called a precautionary principle. Uh, uh, It's something that was uh, debated by the the World Health Organization, and uh, they actually had a big uh, conference on it where they decided 
that this <coughs> precautionary principle should be what guides them in the way they deal with this kind of problem. In fact, the way they deal with all problems. Right. In other words, when you encounter an environmental issue, uh, the question is, how much would it cost to tackle it and somehow deal with it, if not completely, at least partially? And compare that to the damage that would be done if you just let it go on the way it was. And this kind of balance between a reasonable cost compared to the reasonable damage one can expect was uh, sort of, a, I think, a sound business view of how one should treat most things. Sure. Make a basic decision uh, of how much it's going to cost to do the job and how much it's going to cost if you don't do the job and have to do it later. It's sort of catch up. So, uh, right. A bottom, was, a bottom line analysis, do we keep people healthy because it'll cost us less or do we kill them all off with cancer and it'll cost us more? But it's interesting how, how that bottom line actually can drive something very positive, as you're saying. Yeah, because basically it says if it doesn't cost much to do a little bit, right. then, uh, then why not do it? That's how chiropractic finally got off the AMA's hit list and the AMA got threatened by the Supreme Court. You open your mouths one more time, you're all going to be out to lunch because there was so much demand by the insurance companies to save work loss that chiropractic got underwritten. It's interesting, even though they used to fight it because the AMA was against it. But But back to this, so... This precautionary principle is very ethical and reasonable and appropriate. That's not what's going on. So what can the average person do? Well, the average person can do, uh, you know, basically find out what causes these fields because one of the bad things about the fields is that you can't really detect them unless you are already affected by them. In other words, if you're electrically hypersensitive, you will detect these fields pretty much as soon as you come in there in, under their influence, very, very close by. Like even, even fluorescent lights is one of these things. Yes, yes. They, they was, just deplete me. I can last in a store about 15, 25 minutes is the outside limit for me before I literally feel like I'm going to collapse. Yeah. And you, people don't know what their influence is. I, I remember reading a story about the uh, it was, somebody was trying to find out what was a problem in a nursery, and they uh, they couldn't trace it. You know, they saw the wiring, and so and then eventually somebody measured the uh, the field in the center of the room mm-hmm. on the floor, and sure enough, it was high. And they found out that there was a fluorescent fixture on the floor below. That when that was on, it gave these very high signals and out. So, so uh, you can never tell where it's coming from, and that's why mm-hmm. one of the things that people need to do is to get a sense of what what's around and they uh, you can get a meter meters are very expensive at least good ones are very expensive i'd like to think that it's possible to make a relatively cheap meter by using an old-fashioned portable radio the uh, these little handheld uh, RF, uh am fm sets right if you they are Radio, radio amplifiers. Right. In other words, when they pick up a radio signal from the atmosphere, mm-hmm. they amplify it so you can hear it. Well, suppose you set it off the dial. In other words, the lower end of the dial or the higher end of the dial, and turn the volume up. You'll pick up static. Oh, interesting. And when you go, and when you go around with that antenna and touch in different places, mm-hmm. you, know, see, you will get different levels of static. Now, you might be able to calibrate it in, in your own house by putting it up, let's say, against a uh, computer screen and see what the level is there. And as you pull it away, you'll see the level will decrease. The 
static will become less uh, prominent. Well, I can remember years ago I had a simple Gauss meter, and I measured how far the kids could sit from the TV so they weren't affected. And then we did my daughter's hair dryer. And the handheld hair dryer was worse than just about any appliance we had in our entire house. So recently I got an iPhone. I've used a flip phone for the last 15 years and rarely on it. And I got an iPhone and I'm on it all the time sending pictures and I've developed arthritis in my thumbs. And now I understand because I stopped using it for a day and the pain went away. And as soon as I started using it again, the pain came back. And then I read your book and I went, well, of course, I'm sticking my hands in this field. And then I measured today my Mac, my little iMac Airbook, which I love and have written three books on it. And it's the same high power zinging field throughout the whole thing. Every time you stick your hands in it, your whole hands, which are connected to your whole biosystem, are being radiated. And I have hyperthyroid now, which I wonder if it doesn't come from my 10 years of sitting on my computer and sticking my hands in this field with it really close to my face. Yep. Well, I'm no physician, but all I can say is that there are a lot of influences. These are potent fields. Wow. And you don't know what effects they have, but they do have effects. Yeah. And some people, as you say, like I'm a sensitive, I used to turn equipment on and off being in its presence and make it go haywire. Now, you also point out, unfortunately, that low-frequency non-ionizing radiation, which we've been talking about, cell phones, radio frequency, um, microwave, also affects migratory birds and bees, plants, etc. Yep, yep. In fact, about a month ago, the Department of the Interior uh, issued a press release where they said, basically saying that the, uh, the uh, I guess, what is the FCC or uh, who controls the, the levels that they, they set for safety, safety levels? They mm-hmm. said, These guys are using safety standards that are over 30 years old, mm-hmm. and they should be doing something because they're affecting the wildlife. Mm-hmm. Word about the uh, bird, bird migrations and bird health. And there have been problems. I mean, people are worried about particular uh, animal populations. Bees in particular, and bees I know have been influenced, are influenced by electromagnetic fields. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a demonstration uh, was done by uh, a professor at Caltech who showed that when you go out in the field and uh, you watch bees around hives, you can actually get, when you get a, a swarm of bees coming out and then you turn on, and this was a uh, extremely low-frequency range uh, signal, you got the, the bees, the whole swarm changed its direction. Dr. Blank, we've been yep. affected by electromagnetic radiation and radio frequency. We're going to take a little break and we'll come right back. Hello, this is Dr. Nick Begich, independent researcher in science and technology. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Zoe Hieronymus. Dr. Martin Blank is with us. His magnificent book, Overpowered. The Dangers of Electromagnetic Radiation and What You Can Do About It, a Seven Stories Press 2014 release. This book is so necessary and such a great addition, Martin. I want to thank you as a uh, longtime professor, career publisher in the scientific literature, to take the time out to write something for the consumer um, is just such a tribute to your not only your humility, but your love and regard for life after finding out what you have found out, that this non-ionizing radiation is causing 
abnormal cell division, et cetera. So let's talk some more about what each householder can do. We own cell phones. We own computers. Lots of people have lots of extension lines running all over the house, uh, garage openers, alarm systems. What are some ways to minimize our exposure? Well, the simple thing is to first identify where the sources are. And I remember I just spoke about yeah. how one gets a meter, develops a meter, mm-hmm. but the, you should be able to identify them on site and learn to stay as far away from them as you can. And the thing, of course, is you can shut them off. Yeah. That's the other thing. Learn where the off switch is. That's particularly important for the Wi-Fi switch because many people will keep the Wi-Fi on, which is very convenient. Mm-hmm. But not when you're asleep, mm-hmm. and there's no reason to have it on. So shut the Wi-Fi off when you're not using it. You also, before you pass Wi-Fi, I saw that in some counties, parents have really come together and gotten schools to either discontinue Wi-Fi or not wire it. Talk specifically about Wi-Fi, because they keep calling it wiring for success. Yeah, well, if they only wired it for success. In other words, if they used cables. Uh-huh. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. It's a little more expensive, but on the other hand, boy, what's health worth? Well, so how? what do you mean? Let, let's say a householder has Wi-Fi through their phone provider. Yeah, but I'm saying school systems uh-huh. do not need to, to get Wi-Fi in there. Wireless. You're saying they connect- can go through wireless. the old slow connection, like the Ethernet connection through cables. They're pretty fast. Yeah. They're not that slow. Okay. And so the fact is that uh, you probably can get one that, uh, I don't know, the I'm not an engineer, but the thing is you can probably get one that's fast enough. Mm-hmm. And then you also said things as simple as extension cords. Don't run them under your bed. Don't sleep with things running at your head. That are... Yeah, they're, they're, the biggest one is to turn off the Wi-Fi when you're not using it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you've got to learn is to shut off your cell phone when you're not using it. Many people will, uh, will keep the cell phone on in case they get a call. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no reason for that. Men like to put the cell phone in their pockets, which is disastrous because they, they've been, uh, it just keeps on telling the world where you are. It sends a signal out to the uh, tower and every time it sends a signal out to the tower, it's affecting the uh, the sperm uh, that are forming. That's and interesting. So it might have to do with the increase in sterility. Well, there are decreases in sperm count that have been, um, you know, I don't know how many papers there are. I think at least half a dozen papers that I've seen where they've documented this. This is usually in fertility clinics. But the fact is I'm sure that's true with people who haven't gone to the fertility clinics. But there's no reason why you have to keep your cell phone on. And what about what about all of our children? My kids are all in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and they don't have landlines anymore. They all use their cell phones all the time for everything. Well, shut them off when you're not using it and turn them on when you want to see if you've gotten a call. Mm-hmm. You don't have to answer everything immediately. Right, exactly. your messages. Exactly. And then what about there, sometimes you'll find products that say it's screens for these things and you can put it on your computer. And I remember I bought one probably 15 years ago. I don't think it did anything when I measured it. What Are there good products that people can find now? There, there may be. I really don't know. I think the most important thing is to be aware, mm-hmm. I mean, just to know about that. I mean, people sell these uh, devices, you know, not jackets or pockets that you can slip into your pocket that will insulate your cell phone. But if you shut it off, you don't need that. Uh, exactly. That kind of I hear what you're saying. It's just we've all gotten so used to this immediacy of everything 
that we're doing it at the expense of our longevity. And our children and grandchildren, which is what concerns me most when I'm at a restaurant and I watch people park their children in front of their pads or their computers or something hooked on their head or those little phones people wear next to their ear all the time. The Bluetooth, is that called? Yeah, that's a little. That's, that's the, the worst. Right, uh, right near your head. That is Number the worst. Ten. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if it's the worst. Oh, well, there's you might so be right. many worse. There's so many worsts around that the thing is that every you choose your poison, but the point is mm-hmm. to try and eliminate all of them. Mm-hmm. Very good. I mean, I, I think it's very prudent advice, and yet I think to myself as an author, can I go back to my typewriter? <laughs> I don't know if I can go back to writing on a typewriter. But I sure can't stand this arthritis in my hands, and I've really noticed that when I'm away from my computer, I'm not writing a book right now. I've been working in my garden most of the summer. But then I realized I've been sending all these images through my iPhone because that's the part I love the most as a photographer, to take pictures and send them. But I see now, after I finish using it, my fingers hurt. Well, that's... That's your symptom. Yeah, and so, it's telling you something. No, it's very true. And then in terms of the frustration for those of us who have been broadcasting this message now for decades, and researchers like you who have spent a lifetime studying it, the government does not seem to be on the citizen's side. The government is in a very funny state these days, and I don't know how, how to explain it. It's kind of stymied. It's, it's not working like, a, uh, like an organism should. I mean, if you if the framers were uh, the Constitution came back to life and looked at what's going on now in Congress and in the Supreme Court and the fact that the the way this the system doesn't seem to be functioning, uh, I I think they'd be amazed and they'd be shocked to the to the point of desperation that they would want to go back and and rewrite things. That's frightening. They'd first ask, how did a corporation get born as a citizen? What an interesting baby it is. You know, what mother did that come out of? The mother from hell? (laughs) Anyway. I think if corporations are like individuals, like people, they should pay on a personal income case. No, well, you know, the truth is about the income tax, that's who was meant to pay. The citizen of the state was never meant to pay a federal income tax. It's foreign corporations doing business here, American expatriates doing business overseas, and foreign residents who live in this country and have the privilege of working. That was the real taxation base, and the states had the obligation to come up with their fair share of the appropriation to run the federal government. And when that all got turned upside down with their nonsense of the 14th Clause all made up, that was the end of our real, true, fair share apportionment, which is how we did our house, et cetera. But back, back to this most important subject you've spent your lifetime studying and your effort to help the average person. I'd like to talk about our children and our babies, our grandchildren, the baby monitors, all the little things now that go into the house gadgetry that our children are exposed to. Talk to the parents in our audience. Talk to the grandparents. The first research that I'd, I'd like to mention is the one that was done on these electrically heated beds, yeah. the mattresses. Yeah. It was shown that this stuff will cause uh, miscarriages. In fact, there's a study by uh, Dr. Lee at, uh, in uh, Kaiser Permanente in California that found that if it reached, if you got a, a single spurt, let's say, of about 16 milligauss, 16 milligauss is a pretty hefty spike, but if you got even a single one, that would lead to a miscarriage. Well, anyway, they published these results. It's quite a few years ago. But Dr. Lee followed up the kids that were born in this sample, and he found 
that there's an increase, a doubling of the obesity and autism in the offspring that were exposed to not the 16 milligauss that caused the miscarriage, but as low as 2 milligauss. Wow. Very, very low. In other words, basic exposure that one might get from, you know, just... Like an electric heating pad. Uh, You know, the uh, electric heating pads. That kind of stuff has influenced the the fetus. Mm-hmm. In other words, while the fetus is developing, mm-hmm. it's being influenced in the protection. You know, the uterus may be a protection from mechanical kinds of things, but it doesn't, the electromagnetic no, fields apparently penetrate and have their influence. Mm-hmm. So well, and you know, there's so many magnets sold. Somebody gave me this bracelet recently and said, oh, if you wear this, you'll make money. And so I read what it was, and it was a 600-gauss magnet. And I called this person. I said, A, the only person making money is the person who sold it to you. But B, this could really undermine your health. And then she had, they think, a mini stroke. And I think it's because she walked around wearing this thing on her wrist for a week or two. I mean, these are powerful tools, and there's no protection from the FDA about all this really dangerous product material that people are buying thinking that it's helping their arthritis, it's keeping them living longer, that it will make them money, whatever it is. What can we do about that? I don't know. The the remedies are usually regulatory. That's the easiest one where the agencies who have responsible officers will take the appropriate action. But if not, then you can always talk to your congressman and and get something on the legislative end. But the fact is that somehow it's a kind of free-for-all, and uh, it's hard to, uh, to do things and mm-hmm. when there's no, there's no law and no regulation. And, uh, and, and there's the effort, not just no law, no regulation, but an effort by these very same agencies who are often in collusion with the corporations, who are in collusion with the state governments, in order to conceal and hide and obfuscate and diminish and ridicule and destroy people's careers. And we've seen this in so many fields in our life. I mean, what about the issue of smart meters? You know, there are a lot of people who really want to opt out of our Baltimore gas and electric smart meters, and people are trying to do this all over the country. What about that technology? That's totally unnecessary. I mean, we had all these meter readers who are, that's the one thing that the companies have achieved. They've gotten rid of meter readers. So now instead of a man coming around reading a meter at, uh, once a month, uh, now you've got this thing that's emitting these signals. Uh, I don't know. They're different meter designs, and some will uh, emit, you know, around the clock. And uh, the thing is that you're being exposed unnecessarily to this kind of radiation. And the thing is that uh, if you're near a bank of meters, in other words, if if you're one of the, the meters where they kind of bundle the data and have one of them transmitted, and you happen to be near that beam, you're getting a massive dose. There's, there's absolutely no reason for it. It was designed so that one could use the information that you would get to optimize your own use of electric power. But the devices that can use that kind of information are not on the market, as far as I know, so that you can't buy stuff that will utilize all the information that's, being, that's becoming available from your, the rate at which you use the, uh, your electric power. It's, it's just, it makes no sense. No, and we're overwhelmed, and I love the fact that your book title, Overpowered, came out of a family discussion, and one of your relatives suggested it. We are almost out of time. I wish I had had you for two hours. Maybe another time you can join us again. 
So with our remaining time, other than saying, find out, go get a gauss meter, check your house, limit your exposure, culturally, that doesn't sell well. Martin? Yes. It doesn't sell well. <laughs> you, you can't tell. I can't tell my kids. I tried today. They're visiting. I said, you have to stop holding those things up to your head. You have to use your speakerphone or put a little mic thing in your ear, but get those things away from what your head. What can I do? I, I never made my my living as a salesman. Me either. And, <laughs> and I try, but... You know, I was always hoping that you give people enough information, they make the right decision. But I'm finding that information is not enough in our culture because people are swayed by so much publicity and so much propaganda. Yeah, well, hopefully people who have been taught to think will start thinking. And people who've seen examples of people who have uh, not applied their thinking properly will, and, and suffered will realize that that's in for them if they don't change their ways. So I think the message is getting out. I think the public is uh, aware of the dangers, and they're becoming more aware of them. And the fact is that people will probably start taking some kinds of precautions. But there's another level we've not talked about, which is the medical industry's use of ionizing and non-ionizing radiation very casually, exposing people to inordinate amounts of harmful effect, and then sometimes getting cancer and other diseases from the diagnostic procedures because of the tools of the radiation that they're using. And the worst thing is in the preemie labs, not the labs, preemie wards, where you get these these uh, incubators, yeah. they, uh, they they just so many so much electronic stuff is in there that mm-hmm. the levels. I remember one paper that I read. The level inside one of these things was twelve milligauss. That oh, the Lord. child was, comp- uh, you know. So you wonder how we survive it. They're going to ask me how I survive radio when I have to say goodbye. Good night, Martin Blank. Thank you so much. Overpowered the dangers of electromagnetic radiation and what you can do about it. And that's the show. Twenty first century radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.